on the door, there is... I wonder what it means. Do you want to get the loot back to the Connors? Uh, I think I'll see this to the end. Just reached an interesting plot point. Can you read our soul? We're closed. There's an IMT console in the Prima Hotel for any online reservations. There's also a customer care number right in front of your fucking eyes. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Hello there. Oh, my. This episode of the Dickheads podcast is dedicated to the memory of the victims of the Sincharan Raijin conflict of 4-B33 lowercase a. May they never be forgotten. Hey, dickheads! Like a pink laser beam of truth beaming straight from San Diego, California to your brain hole. We are your starship captains for the day. It is strictly a tourism-based trip. So if you want to get down on the planet, find somebody else to take Go you. Go to a different company that offers that service. Here, you can only look at it through the glass windows. So, our story today is the impossible planet. Well, wait a minute, David. Who are we? Oh, that's right. We are your personal dickheads. I am David Agronoff, author of Punk Rock Ghost Story, The Vegan Revolution with Zombies, and the science fiction epic... Flesh Trade, co-written with Edward Morris. And I'm Anthony Trevino, writer of King Space Void, the horror comic fruition, contributor to Clash and Tom Holland's Terror Time in the past and a few other places. I'm also now the NPR host of the Dickheads podcast. Larry? And I'm Langhorn J. Tweed. That's my boy! All right. So, our episode today is about the short story, The Impossible Planet, and the episode of Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Of the same name. Of the same title. It's actually just Impossible Planet. Oh. Oh, so it's not the same title. Oh, are you being, me, f- are you the being the. me from the last episode? Sort of. They dropped the the. Well, they did more than that. Well, All right. did they, thankfully. Yeah, they did. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk about, uh, do we have any updates, anything um, coming up? That we want to talk about, or before we get into the... No. No, okay. No PKD news? No PKD news. We'll do the PKD news next time with Vulcan's Hammer. So, um, alright, let's get into the story and the publication history. So the story of the Impossible Planet was written after Human Is and before Adjustment Team. It was written in February 1953. And the manuscript was originally entitled... Legend. So why? Wow, that's real dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So right off the bat, I would say Impossible Planet is a better title. I don't really like Impossible Planet either, but it's better than Legend. Well, that is a Ridley Scott movie starring Tom Cruise, where the only things worth watching that movie are the scenes with Tim Curry. Tim Curry looks pretty cool Eh. in that. The rest of that movie fucking boring. I I like watching Mia Sara. Um. 
I'm gonna go back and rewatch Legend because I was too young to get it when I watched it. So I am kind of. I, I would say it. don't bother. Yeah, I just I recently watched it. Oh, you did? Yeah. All right. It's. I mean, it's it's a decent little fairy tale, but it's and it is visually very attractive. But mm. yeah, I don't think you need to go see it again. All right. So if anybody out there decides to watch Legend because of us, let us know what you thought. No one is going to watch Legend because of, they heard it on this podcast, David. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Anyways, uh, the story was published in October in Imagination Magazine. So he wrote in February and got published in October. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, so, that's awesome. So, yeah, uh, most of these episodes of um, Electric Dreams were based on stories written in 1953. Like, he had, like, a stretch where he just... It was, like, that last stretch of real heavy production on short stories in 1953. Well, when the meth is yeah. good, the meth is good, dude. Well, he, it wasn't until someone told him that he needed to write novels to make money. I think it was a that, vote, wasn't it, at a, um, was, at a conference? Yeah, I, I, can't, I don't remember the exact story. You probably know that better than I do. Yeah, I, but, think, I think it was a vote. But um, he, was, he was told directly that he was never going to make money just doing short stories. Yeah. Which is pretty true. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all glad that he started writing novels. Oh, yeah. he came over to, to Dick and he was like, hey, Dickie, you gotta, you're wasting your time Billy. over there with these Billy. little, no, when I'm, when he's A.E. Van Vogt, it's Dickie. Dickie? Okay. Yeah. You think, okay. <laughs> you think Vogt you're called wa- him, <laughs> wasting your time with these little stories. You gotta think big. And then Dick went back and wrote the fucking cosmic puppets. <laughs> Actually, I think the first science fiction novel he wrote was Vulcan's Hammer. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. listen. Have I mentioned on this podcast yet how much I don't like the Cosmic Puppets? <laughs> I think everyone knows we none of us liked Cosmic Puppets. Um, so Impossible Planet arrived in a package with the adjustment team. Wow, what a package that was. <laughs> um, well, one's got this planet, right? And the other one's got a talking dog? Yeah. I don't know, whatever. Publish them both. Who gives a shit? So it arrived... Well, remember they had a grading system with, like, C's, I think it was? So yeah. I, I don't know... No, how it was a G. Yeah, like for good. G plus or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, we know. Really good and good or nothing. We know the exact date. So did nothing mean trash can? Pretty much? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, probably like, yeah, we're not doing this one at all. So that it arrived at the literary agent, the SM literary, the Scott Meredith, was it? Literary agency on February 11th. So he must have written the story early in February. And turned it around, um, but they obviously found a home for it. But it was also selected for a couple anthology. Oh well, and it was in the very first PKD short story collection, which was called uh, "A Handful of Darkness" in 1955, and it was a UK edition. It's a weird title for a PKD collection. I feel like. Um, well, yeah, and it was a weird, like, short, like, never reprinted collection. I'm not sure what the table of contents was. In that one, but I do know that Impossible Planet was in it, and it was out of print for 20 years until Brian Aldiss um, collected it in a collection called Space Odysseys, um, and then eventually in 1987 it was put in Collected Stories Volume 2, so mm-hmm. that's where we have it. Now, interestingly, on the Brian Aldiss thing, Brian Aldiss is a very well-respected science fiction writer from from England, so it's cool that he thought of this story after 20 years and wanted to 
you know, use it for this collection. Um, but if any, is any, if either of you guys read any Brian Aldiss? Nope. Um, no. He, uh, he's really interesting. He did a, um, he wrote the novel, The Frankenstein Unbound, that Roger Corman turned into a very okay. weird time travel movie. Right. Um, and Aldiss also had a, he had a Dracula Unbound, but he did a, he had a whole series about this planet that had like a hundred year long seasons. And it was this really crazy, um, like world building thing. Aldous is a great writer. He also wrote the short story that the movie AI was based off of. So Pinocchio, uh, not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> uh, Super toys last all summer, I think was the name of that title. Wow. Yeah. Were there aliens in it? That I think was a Kubrick creation. Yeah, but uh, Kubrick did the aliens part. Well, Kubrick originally. Um, I don't think so. Well, Kubrick was. I believe that was a Spielberg thing. That Kub- sounds like a Spielberg thing. I think it was in the Kubrick script because what happened was Kubrick was developing AI for many many years, and then that was going to be his next film when when he died, making Eyes Wide Shut, and his mm-hmm. next movie was going to be AI. And Spielberg finished Eyes wide it shut, for him. a better movie. Yeah, Spielberg finished it for him, but yeah. I don't think the whole script was in there. Yeah, I think the whole scene with the aliens and the ancient city and all that was in the Kubrick script because people have said that it was like sentimental and too Spielbergy, but I'm pretty sure that was in the Kubrick script. But that's for the Spielcast. The no, that's, for the, that's for the Kubrick script. Yeah, I'll do a yeah. Kubrick one, but I will not do a Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. One. Fuck Spielberg. Fuck Senor Spielborgo. That's right. Senor you Spielberg. You take that, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, he cares. <laughs> so. <laughs> what? I can't hear you through this pile of money that I'm lying in. Yeah. I like a few. You, you or your little podcast. <laughs> right. So the Impossible Planet is... I invented PG-13, so there would be no good horror movies ever again. Whoa, shit, hot take Larry over here. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, David, what, what were we talking about? That being said... Impossible Adjustment Team? The Impossible <laughs> Adjustment Team. The Impossible Planet is a epic story that will take you a whole five minutes to read. <laughs> uh, it is... No, it takes about ten. Maybe ten, yeah. This is... Not one of the longer uh, short stories in the PKD canon. It is not Minority Report. Um, no, it's about nine pages, I think. Yeah, yeah I'd say it's like a qu- nine or ten. Yeah, it's a quick read. Now, uh, uh, truth be told, before we decided to do this podcast, the episode of Electric Dreams, this was the first one I watched, and I reread the story and watched watched it um, together in one night. Uh, before we were decided to do this podcast, so I kind of maybe read it super fast because I had had read it. So you didn't you year. didn't read it again? Or? No, I did read it again. Oh, okay. But I just um, yeah, because I had to highlight it and stuff. But, um, but you know, honestly, I read your copy because I couldn't find it anywhere else. And if you said you read it before, I I wouldn't doubt that you would highlight it then, even if we weren't doing the. <laughs> podcast yeah no honestly i've never highlighted a philip k dick before we started you have highlighted so much stuff in this book and i just don't know why there's (laughs) nothing in this story uh well we'll find out because there's things i want to talk about right because here's the thing even though the story's short and there's not much to it i i one of the things i appreciate about it is that it has a lot of good world building in it 
Mm-hmm. And so I like those things. I just don't think that... I think the story definitely could have been longer, and I think... Well, we'll get into the episode, but... And things that I think they did to improve the story. But, um... Because, uh, spoiler alert, I liked the episode better <laughs> than the story. I think we all did. Um, eh. but... Um... The, the thing... The problem with the story is it's hey, just... Hey, guys. Yeah. Are you ready for this? I yeah. fucking loved the episode. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was all about this episode. Positivity. Yeah. From Trevino. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's perfect. Um, the ending. Nothing well, like well, a spring I, December romance. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into the, the, let's talk, let's focus on the short story for now. Um, the one thing is that obviously I think he could have expanded this story. I think he might have been trying to get it into a really knowing that if he writes a very short story, it might be easier to sell. I don't know. But then again, he's being paid by the words, so maybe make it longer. I don't know. Um, but it's a very simple concept, and I know some of the reviews I saw online, and I think it's important to remember that when the story came out in 1953, like, the ending of Planet of the Apes hadn't been seen by anyone. <laughs> so even though it kind of has the same ending as as Planet of the Apes minus, you know, you did it, damn you, with uh, Charlton Heston, it, it, you know, you have to keep in mind 1953 when I think judging the story. Got it. You know. Next. <laughs> oh, shit. David was saying pay attention to the time period that it was written in, and then you have to accept it. He Did he do... He doesn't do that often, Larry. <laughs> Just every episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, every fucking episode. <laughs> good Lord. All right. Um, hey, remember, Anthony's in a good mood. That was a cheery this sort is of the yelling cheery at you. Did, uh, you know what we forgot to do? The story breakdown. Oh, shit. Larry? Yeah. It is time for the story. Someone just immediately fucking turned off. They're like, nope. Right, Larry, break it down for us. Alright, so The Impossible Planet is a story by Philip K. Dick. It it starts with an old woman and a robot at the door of the office of uh, these two dudes who do vacations for people. And she wants to go to Earth, and Earth is no longer a thing, or they believe that it never existed in the first place. It's no longer a thing in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they have a weird, in this future, they have a, a the weird idea that Humanity spontaneously uh, came about on several planets at once. So that's the the common belief of these people. They say, we can't take you to Earth because it doesn't exist. But then she says, I've got a shit ton of Quatloos. Take me to Earth. <laughs> and and they're like, like, okay. Dude's like, yes, we can now take you to Earth. <laughs> Sure. It's re- anywhere it's, you want to go. It's reminiscent of that scene in Team America World Police where the the girl's like, if you would only say you would never die, I'd have sex with you right now. And he goes, I promise I will never die. <laughs> so the uh <laughs> they take they take her up and the captain's like, 
Uh, we're going to find a planet that's like it. I'm going to look through the uh, the Encyclopedia 2, whatever they call it in the story. Encyclopedia Galactica? Yeah. From Hitchhiker's Guide. And uh, <laughs> and the uh, the co-pilot, the whatever he is, the sort of dude, He's never his job is never really described in any way. He says, but that's wrong. And the captain's like, yeah, but there's a shitload of money here, so we're going to do it anyway. So they find a planet that has a single moon and is the third planet from the sun. And they're like, oh, that seems good enough. And uh, then they go there, and the old lady's like, this doesn't look like Earth. And they're like, yeah, well, but it is. You don't know any better. And she's like, well, I've got to go look at it. And then she... um, she poofs into nothingness, and her robot carries her clothes into the water and disappears. And then the young dude's like, I'm going to get a different job. And the old guy's like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's the story. Oh, wait, what about the coin? Oh, yeah, and then, so at the very end, the young guy had found a piece of metal when he was out on the surface of the planet, and he's like, Oh, look, it says E Pluribus Unum. I don't even know what that means. And then he throws it away. See, it was Earth the whole time. That's the punchline, you guys. So Whoa. I got to that, and I read it and went, oh, did you pick up like a fucking penny or something? Yeah. <laughs> dumb. Could have been a quarter. I mean, it's not, it's not dumb. It's just obvious. It's obvious dumb. to us now. Yeah. But, but not in 1954, huh, David? People were probably blown away by it. They're like, oh, I know, Fuck, they, he picked it up and he was on Earth. They mistakenly went to Earth. Not in 1954 they would be blown away, but in 1953? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Because this came out in 1953. Sorry, you know what, David? I should probably pay attention when you do the history lesson of this podcast, huh? No. Yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> no. You should be taking fucking notes because... I, li- I like when you don't listen and then you ask a question about something you weren't listening to. <laughs> <laughs> When well, was this story written? Guess what? It was what? 1997, right? <laughs> We're almost to episode 15, and that's when I'll give you the test. Oh, no. Uh-oh. I'm going to take a, a... No one told me this was going to be on the quiz. Take a Turing test or that test from 2049? <laughs> we know you're a real boy. Yeah. You don't have to take the Turing test. You don't uh, know that. So, the story... All my parts may not work, Larry. So, yes, I did... That's what I've heard. Wait, from who? <laughs> All right, so I, I did take some notes. Um, there are there are some interesting. I think the world building is kind of interesting for such a short story. He does kind of pr- paint a picture of this um, future society in a way that um, we don't see a lot of space opera from Philip K. Dick. So I think this kind of setting, he does. It's close enough. Yeah, but he actually names real stars throughout um, the whole thing. So. I thought that was kind of interesting. In fact, um, the planet they're on where they have their little tourist business, it says it's uh, Formalot 4, which is a real star, um, and it's 25 light years away from the real Earth. So if you factor in, it's not that far away, galactic or, or you know, Milky Way speaking. And it is a star that is 1.85 times the diameter of our sun, but still... 18 times brighter. So hmm. uh, the likelihood that it's probably very bright on Formalot 4. Right. But um, but I did think it was interesting that there were these real 
you know, planets. And so this, and also the idea that the character is, uh, 350 years old, and it says, one of the oldest sustained from Raija 2. So, um, and then Larry and I were discussing during the episode, because we watched it together. Um, wow, you fucking pat yourselves on the back, huh? Yeah. But we were talking about, because Larry said that he basically, you thought it was weird that they that they stop at 350, uh, or that, that they could, if they can keep somebody alive to 350, why couldn't they keep somebody alive even further? Oh, right? uh, specifically because they gave her a heart condition. Oh, in the, in the, in the, in the show. Yeah. I, uh, they don't, uh, he doesn't say anything in the story as to why, uh, or even if she's going to die, just that she's really old. Yeah. Yeah. But she, I mean, and her ears aren't working, so I think they kind of, well, I mean, this whole story is, is structured around the, the idea in the punchline of the end of the short story, like many yeah. short stories are, there's all the characters are flat, one-dimensional characters in this story, right? Which is what the show improves on. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, that is one thing too. Um, and I, and that is true. There is nothing. This is just a, a straight through to the punchline story. Mm-hmm. So, and that is the thing that if you were to expand the story, you could do is you could create more character moments. Um, there, there's a little bit of fun things with the, the robant. I don't Jesus know. Jesus Christ. I don't. <laughs> fucking robant. Just say robot. W- right. Did he not want to just say robot? I guess not. I guess not. Fucking robant. Um, That's what he calls the thing. I believe, I believe he calls it the same thing, a robant in, um, the man who japed. Does he? Yeah. It's like a robant bed or something that folds back oh. into the wall. Right. I don't, yeah, I, I can't remember. If I, I can't remember it either, but it's very similar. If it's not Robant, it's something right. else. It's essentially Robot with a few other letters. Alternately, I think he does a good job with uh, coming up with a new unit of currency because the what what does he call the unit of currency? Oh, I think that was in the episode. No, not... it's in the it's in the story. Hold on, I'm looking for it. Um... Something positive. Starts with yeah. It starts with a K. But it, it's very kilo much, positives. Kilo positives is very much a different thing than saying you know a thousand pen, penoids or you know dolorincos. I'll take you there for a thousand dolorios. So in that sense, he did it. He did a good job, and alternately, he did a terrible job with the robot thing. A thousand positives. Uh, yeah. We'll take her anywhere she wants to go. Tell her that. For a thousand positives, we'll be glad to take her to Earth. Okay? Yeah. I mean, he's just like... real quick, he's like, yeah, okay. You know what? All of a sudden, I just realized Earth is real. I know exactly where Earth is. We're going, (laughs) because I want that fucking money. Right. And so here's the thing that I had kind of a problem with this story, is when you get into the timelines... So she's 300 years old, but supposedly she remembers being on Earth? No. Or her grandfather. Her grandfather told her that yeah, he was from Earth. So let's say he lived 300 years. The most we're talking is like, what, 600 years? Mm. About 600 years is a very short amount of time, no matter what conflict on Centaur Rijin conflict of... 4 slash right. B33 lowercase a. I mean, it may have been a terrible war that Sinshur and Raijin conflict. But then, of but then the, the Earth would not be forgotten at that point. 4 B33 lowercase a. And that may have been a terrible war. 
But 600 years to just, like, for Earth to become legend, that yeah, doesn't seem like enough time. Maybe 6,000 for... years. Yeah, sure. exactly. But... Yeah, I just, that, that's the one problem. Is that, that not the same war as the human is war that's going on? Well, mm, I think those were the, with the the, the, cent, the centurion bees or whatever. I don't <laughs> fucking know, man. I can't keep track of all the random letters Dick throws at a wall after putting centurion, the lunatics, five underscore seven B slash 82. I don't know this shit. There, there is a lot of Alpha Centauri. Cause, I guarantee yeah. you yeah. there's someone out there who has put it all together. Who has put it all together, and it probably <laughs> exists on some nerd forum on the internet. Encyclopedia Dick Canyon. Yeah, the Dickopedia. There, no, it's that's where I get a lot of my shit from here, dude. Okay. But, no, but the the timeline of or the whatever the but I don't know I don't the know common Dick, timeline. I don't think Dick was ever like King, where everything's kind of interrelated. No, no, no. These are all their own stories. So right. Um, but it says here most legends concerning Earth were lost during the Centauran Rigen conflict of four dash. B thirty three lowercase a. Holy shit! What survived is fragmentary. Earth is variously described as a large ring planet with three moons, as a small dense planet with a single moon, as the first planet of a ten planet system located around a dwarf white, and then it gets cut off. Um, what is the most prevalent legend? Anyways, so I like this whole idea that he gives like different ways that people have described Earth. Um, and basically he just then decides to take him to just any one written planet that has like a yeah. single moon. And that was Euphora or, or M4, M4 three. Um, but so what I'm saying is in 600 years for earth to get like blasted and then mm. renamed and completely forgotten from history to the point of it being a legend. Well, um, our boy Evan Lamp has Evan Lampy. Evan Lampy, not Evan Lamp. He's not fucking IKEA. <laughs> our boy Evan Lampy has a has a quote wow. about this. The theme of this story seems to be the power of war to obliterate the memory of places. There is a historical truth for that. Wars lift some locations into permanent historical memory. But entire societies, cultures, ways of living, and subcultures can be eradicated. The one reason ethnic cleansing and genocides take place commonly during wars is that times of war are times when we are used to destruction. The eradication of a people can be seen as the unfortunate backdrop to the violence. This was Adolf Hitler's point when he suggested that his crimes against the Jews would be forgotten. The Turkish ethnic cleansing of the Armenians was certainly forgotten. Okay, so... Right. Boy, that Evan Lampy. So... He's a smart dude. Right. So here's the thing. There is actually, like, kind of a smart concept here and the idea that war can erase... Uh, a place, and I don't think that, I think the story hints at it, but it could have been expressed a little better, and certainly, I don't think that was the point of the episode, right? Mm -hmm. But, I do think that it is an interesting thing that's kind of bubbling under the surface, is this idea that um, Earth has been forgotten so quickly, and... So I do think that that was kind of the, I do think when, when PKD, when Philly D sat down at the typewriter, 
I think he was probably like, oh, I'm going to write a story about how war... Or I do think that that's what he was trying to write a story about. Right. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that was his point, or is it just the punchline? I think it was just the punchline for this one, but, I mean, that could be a, a, at least a spark for him, maybe. I'm not even going to speculate. Okay, so, but there's this part here where he says, below them pitted the ruined surface of M4-3 was rising rapidly. The ship entered the cloud belt and emerged, coasting over a barren plain that stretched as far as the eye could see. What happened down there, Norton said to Anders? The war. War, mining, it's old. The pits are probably bomb craters. Some of the longest trenches may be scoop gouges. Looks like they've really exhausted this place. So I do think that that was the point of the story. And keep in mind, 1953, that we're at the height of, like, nuclear panic and, and, and all we're that. We're always at the height of nuclear panic <laughs> with Dick's books. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's my point, is I do think that it's very possible that it's not just the punchline, but the, but the whole concept of war erasing a place that I think that maybe when he sat down to write the story, he was like, I want to write a story where Earth is just a forgotten part of a war. I right. do think it's possible. Now, whether he did a good job or not, and yet that's we're another still thing. still obsessed with it. Our great planet, I have to go back. Well. Oh, fucking dumb. <laughs> well, it is part of it, and, and, and Evan does talk a lot about the, the whole frontier thing in PKD, and it is a kind of an interesting that mm-hmm. after he has all these stories that point to the great glorious colonies, and if we could just get off to Alpha Centauri 72B1-28, <laughs> life would be great. And so it, the idea that he's writing a story where Earth is just a forgotten memory is, is kind of like a, a reversal on, on the themes that he's been doing before. So, kind of interesting. Yeah, so instead of getting away from Earth, we went back. Whoa, total fucking twist, PKD. I'm shocked. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just blown away by this. Yeah, um, there are things that I highlighted. I'm not sure why I highlighted them. But um, sometimes it's just maybe like I highlighted Robant because I knew Anthony was going <laughs> to lose his mind. It's what you- so dumb! Exactly, I knew you would have that reaction. Exactly. Um, so... Uh, On to the episode. Well, we we haven't given our our full opinions about the story yet, Larry. I think your opinion is well known at this point. Um, you don't know how many <laughs> robants I'm going to give it out of five. That's true. Anyway, David, you got anything? Um, I'm going to give this story two Centurion Rigen conflicts of four dash <laughs> thirty three lowercase a's out of. Five. Two. What's your reasoning? Well, I think the concept is good, but the execution is terrible. I mean, it's just like... I. You know, the funny thing is I've always liked this story before, but I think... I mean, this is a story that I've read many times, having had this actual copy of, of Volume 2 that's in my hands since the 90s. So I have read this story many, many, many times. And I, I like certain things about it, but it's just... It's too short... It's not developed enough, and it has really, really cool ideas that... Um, and it's funny, because I think they... Well, we'll get into the episode later, but I think that they expanded certain things of the story that made it really, really better, but I think, me personally, if I had done it, I would have focused on the whole war thing. It always comes back to how right. David was going to make it better. Well, no, we always talk about I'm just that. just giving you shit, dude. 
I'm just giving you shit. I'm just threatening to punch you right yeah. now. All right, okay. Anthony. I'm going to give it two robents out of five. Um, it's a story that I read in about ten minutes and then immediately went, Oh, okay, I get it. The punchline is, they were on Earth, they didn't think they were going to be on Earth. Turns out, he picks up a fucking quarter or a penny, he's like, oh, I don't know what this means. It was Earth, that was the punchline, I don't care. <laughs> Two out of five Robins. <laughs> Larry? Yeah, yeah, what Anthony said. <laughs> <sighs> you're not even going to give it, you're not even going to talk about it? okay? I feel no no need to repeat, Anthony. Okay, so you feel exactly the same as Exactly the same. So let's move it on down to the episode. So when we talk about the episode, I just want to say, too, that I think that the best thing that the story contributes is that it inspired the episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's like basically my take, my hot take on that. Uh, Okay, so the... um, so we've already talked about, in our Humanist episode, we talked about the production of Electric Dreams and the history of how Brian Cranston and Channel 4 and, and England kind of got the show going. So I don't want to... Yeah, so let's not retread a bunch of shit we already talked about. Right. Um, but uh, I will say that there is an interesting history with the airing of this episode in the sense that it was the second episode that premiered, or there was the second episode they showed in England, mm-hmm. and it's the eighth released on Amazon for whatever right. reason. I don't have any idea why that is, but England, the Channel 4 in England, because they put a bunch of money into this show, they got the rights to air them in whatever order they wanted. And... Oh, well, sorry, okay. David. I fell asleep because of how fucking boring that was. All right. Anyway, just a joy. He's just a joy to be around all the time. This one. <laughs> so you guys keep inviting me back. <laughs> so there is. This is int- your show. It's our show, Larry. Yeah. So um, this- tell me more about um, the financing behind <laughs> this episode, David. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my page on IMDb. Thank so. God. Anyway, back to the episode. Um, so, yeah, the, this episode was um, directed by a guy named David Farr. And David Farr, um, he... Hold on, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Pause while David scrolls through IMDb. <laughs> So David Farr is the director, and he uh, he directed a thriller called The Ones Below. But I it looks interesting, but I have never never seen it. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah. But he's mostly known as a writer, and he wrote a film that was kind of a decent sized hit called Hannah, which was a like kind of speculative, just borderline weird action movie about a. Isn't yeah. she a mute? Or something. She's, and she... she's got some kind of weird powers. Um, yeah. I watched it when it came out in, what was it, 2011, and I remember liking it. Um, it helps that Kate Blanchett is in it, and she's like kind of a antagonist, and I like mm. Kate Blanchett a lot. He also is a, a, a main writer on a show called The Night Manager, which I know is pretty popular about arms dealing but i haven't watched that has anybody watched the night manager is no. that the one with hugh laurie yeah. yes i like hugh laurie but i haven't watched it do you know how many time dude there's so many tv shows i saw yeah, right. hill house I, I just can't keep up with this shit stop <laughs> with the tv shows 
Right. And um, so, and apparently he picked this story. He's, when he was hired to work on this show, that he was, they knew he was going to do one. And he kind of like, well, I'll get into to that in a little bit. But the cast is actually pretty, pretty good. So the woman that plays Irma, the the older woman in the her name is Geraldine Chaplin and she was um the star of Dr. Shivago back in 1965 and that was apparently she she was the one of the main characters so that's a pretty big deal and she has like a lot of credits so if you look through her IMDb it's um she was in Talk to Her The Orphanage the Impossible, uh, she was in the latest Jurassic Park, so she's been in a bunch of stuff. And, but the star of this episode, without a doubt, is Benedict Wong. Right. Um, he is great as the greedy Captain Anders. Greedy, bitter, angry Captain. Yeah. Ooh. Kinda sounds like somebody I know on this podcast. <laughs> you? I was, I could relate to the Benedict Wong character on, the, on that episode a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and he's great. Um, the, the, Norton is played by Jack R- Renor. He, uh, he does a good job, Rainer. but he's, he's basically Rainer. your kind of quintessential good looking Hollywood dude playing right. a, a, a pretty milk to- toast role, but I did like him in it. Yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't have any like credits that I knew. I know he's in that movie Ken that came out this year. Never heard of it. Um, please was- don't spend 25 minutes telling me about it. No, I'm not. Right. It's just Stranger Things producers produced it. That's oh, all. Oh, okay. So, but, um. Nostalgia movie. We had a funny moment when we were watching the episode, uh, uh, cause, you know, he speaks with an Irish accent and Larry asked me to look up what part of Ireland he was from. And he's from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Although he moved to Ireland. Uh, so that is a real accent. Um, but, uh, anywho, um, that's, I think all about the writer director. I don't know much about David Farr, but I'm definitely going to check out his other film um, because I liked this. So, um, but I do. I did find a quote from Michael Dinner, who's the showrunner um, of Electric Dreams, and we we discussed before that he came from Justified and Sneaky Pete. And I found this quote. He said, The original story was only 11 pages, but in David Farr's hands, Impossible Planet became nearly an hour and a love story. There was something in the original story that David thought was extremely moving. He took the ball and ran with it. This guy, who is not the greatest human being in the universe, somehow finds his humanity through this old woman. And that's how we get to a completely different ending. In the original story, they land on the planet, Irma goes out and disappears, And in the episode, Norton joins Irma. Norton has a vision or a memory of something of Earth with a younger Irma and some happy naked times before they die. (laughs) Happy naked times. (laughs) I thought that there was going to be some mad G-Milf action in this episode, but there wasn't. Well, there kind of was. So, Larry, maybe you can break down for us the differences between... Yeah. Give me that story breakdown again. No. Let's do a mini no. breakdown. Okay, mini breakdown. Nope. No, you're not going to do it? No. All right, so there... Do I need to do it? Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, so there's a... Well, go for it. No, what? go for it. No, Anthony. I'm going to count your ums, but go ahead. 
Let's do it. All right. So some of the main differences between the story, obviously, is the love story, and they're giving more motivations and character. Uh, they're giving character. <laughs> that's one. They're giving more character arcs to everybody and more definition and more, like, just... The characters have more going on. So so Benedict Wong definitely for me was the highlight because he's like this crusty old like He's not crusty, he's like in his forties. Well, but he's like just like yeah, he's watching attitude wise. He's watching weird space porn on like what I imagine future YouTube is. He's crusty attitude wise, not yeah. not age wise. Sounds yeah. like you, Larry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why that felt like my friends. Um <laughs> but uh <laughs> Yeah, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I have very grumpy friends. Mm. So, yeah, that was the main difference. And then, you know, obviously... In that and the, quote, the robot being... Uh, adding a little mystery to listen, what the robot's point was. Listen, that robot is fucking awesome. I hated it. Why? I liked it, too. The robot is... The, the robot's great. Even the robot it, gets in, some personality in it. In the story, the... Robot is a giant creature that is intimidating. This robot looked like a middle-aged man with uh, some happy lights on it. It looked I like a like forgotten it. prop from Doctor Who. It really did. But I loved the robot. Yeah, the I robot was my favorite part. The robot is the one that figures out that the two captains are full of shit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in a, sorry, David, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, in a fine. better twist than basically outing them in front of her... The robot decides to go along with yeah, it. Yeah, that which, was good. Which was awesome. That was, that was a good moment. Yeah, and I like that the robot looks like kind of a Jetsons design. Yeah, yeah I like and, that. And it looks like Twiggy from Buck Rogers. Yeah, dude. Stop <laughs> beady, being such beady, a beady, um, well, I like... Well, no, I, I think it took away from the story. If the robot was the size it was in the short story, then it would be more intimidating to the the... To us and to the the two guys, but I don't think the robot in the story, at least not in the story, but in the in the episode, was the robot. And there's more of a caretaker than an intimidating bodyguard, right? Yeah. But it's still size wise would have been something different in the in the. Uh, would you prefer it episode? looked like a big daddy from like Bioshock? Ooh, that would have been nice with a fucking giant like drill. It wouldn't have to have a drill or a gun or anything, but. Size-wise. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I liked it. So, I liked all the design, the spacecraft, uh, everything in the episode that the production All the design. kind of the peripheral uh, world building, like on the fringe of the, the main story. Yeah. You get to see a little bit more of this. The guy, his Wait. boss telling him that his application was denied for the fifth time. It, I felt like I was in a in the future. I liked how that was edited where it was like clearly like edited to say, you've been denied... Five. Five times, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think the production design was so much better than Human is. Oh, and the um, score is badass. I don't know if I'd go bad. I liked it. Dude, the but... score is nice and low-key, a little synthy. It, it helps kind of put you in that world without being in your face. I actually, <laughs> I, did, I didn't notice oh, it God. at all. Um, it's not like trying to fucking kick my teeth in with nostalgia, Stranger Things. Um <laughs> Do you want to take another dig at Stranger Things? No, I'm good. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I I just, I really liked the production design and all this, and I did like the episode um, quite a bit. Um, the episode gives everyone 
more of a backstory, more of a reason to be doing the things that they're doing. Yeah. And, and it's actually, you guys, are you ready for this? I really liked the love story at the heart of this one. Yeah, that's odd. It was told in a really cool, interesting way. I got to see a, a guy who is struggling in a life he uh, doesn't want anymore with somebody he doesn't want to be with. And I was, I was like, I can immediately relate to this more than I can a magic hat romance. <sighs> what were you saying, David? Well, no, just uh, everyone who listened to the adjustment yeah, an old dead person is probably like, whoa, Anthony liked the love story. I did. I thought this was a really well done love story. Yeah. And, and as somebody who, I, and maybe it's because it was a little relatable to me. Maybe yeah. that's why. But well, and 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 you I like think, old women on the verge of death. No, I like a I like somebody who's who has the who are fucking senile. <laughs> no, you dickbag. I like, I dreamed you. Really, you like that shit, Larry? Well, you that really? Is how is that any better than a bunch of people who are like, I "Are you going to put on this magic hat so you guys can't get put together?" It's how is it worse? Wait, refrain. how is the other thing worse? Because it I was, dreamed you. It was a sterile, boring love story in the Adjustment Bureau with a fucking magic hat Then romance. why didn't he fall in love with her when she was still old? Why did she have to get young at the end? I think he kind of did start to fall in love with her when yeah. she was old. Yeah, yeah, I think he really that's liked why her. He, that's visually, why though, he, he didn't touch her until, until she's young again. Yeah, well, we're not arguing that. Well, no, but he chose to to basically die with her on the planet. Yeah, dude, if yeah. that ain't love, I don't know what is. Yeah, and I I, I actually um, self serving yeah. promotion here, but um, I did. I guess you love Romeo and Juliet too, right? <laughs> right, Anthony, You're a big fucking fan of Romeo and Juliet. You're so fucking consistent. That's my favorite thing about you is your fucking consistency. You're so fucking badass at your fucking bullshitting. That's what I went to college for, dude. Oh, I believe this intrinsically until the next time when I don't. Mm -mm. That's not what I said. I don't believe anything. (laughs) That's, that's... I believe you're full of shit. I believe that I like things when they're presented to me in a way that I feel was done well and Uh isn't an absurd, sterile, magic hat romance. Uh It's okay, Larry. Uh It's okay to be wrong. Yeah, you prove that all the time. (laughs) I'm... So, um, I did, I did, I really do like the concept of the story, um, of the love story with the, um, with the, between the younger man and the older woman, because it's yeah. a, it's a turnaround and a, a reversal of what, yeah, you know, I've never seen that before. Well, but we don't, we don't see it a lot in Hollywood. We usually see the other way around. And well, at least he didn't buy into the line of, I want a hoity-toity life, and you need to provide this hoity-toity life for me and come live with me in this fancy place. And basically, it's your fault that you can't get this fucking application. Instead, he dies? That's that's the... Well, I don't know, man, but I certainly sort of shit wouldn't want to spend the rest of my life with somebody like he was. Yeah. Well, and I just... Well, it doesn't matter because the rest of his life was like 40 minutes. <laughs> In screen time, yeah! Yeah, um, well, I don't know, it's the sacrifice. I did, I have written two stories that have that kind of young man, older woman romance in my... David, self-promotion. I, I prefaced before, but uh, in my... Yeah, story. I know, but then Larry got his fucking undies in a bunch and started yelling at me. So they're in my short story he, collection. Because he doesn't like that I have different opinions on different things. Uh, on the same thing. No. <laughs> you have different, different opinions on the same thing. They're... <laughs> 
So in my I short love it. in my short story collection, Amazing Punk Stories, there are two stories that kind of dress that theme, but one of them is a story called Reunion Show that is very is my Well that's great, David, but we're not one on the of my most cast. PKD um, influenced stories, if anyone wants to read that. Okay. That's great. <laughs> that's great. You can you can take the fucking Lexus logo off your shirt now too. <laughs> hey. I anytime I can promote uh that story. Holy but. shit. Moving on. Okay, so yeah, I, I liked the episode a lot. I thought it was really good. Um, uh, the ending wasn't necessarily the best, but I'm okay with it. Um, Gratuitous nudity. Yeah, that wasn't. Yeah, the happy naked time. I'm not. It wasn't. <laughs> you guys have a problem but... with a couple skinny dipping? Did I really just fucking hear that? No, like, that was what you're having a problem with. What, no. what are you calling gratuitous nudity? Well, I mean. Whatever. Anyways, I'm not. Gonna... What do you What do you call it? Are you talking about the sci the the sci fi space porn bot that he's watching on the on the <laughs> fucking you porn channel? Well, that wasn't a real thing. Yeah. Whatever. Let's move on. Um. But David offended by uh, uh, older individual nudity. I'm just fucking. With <laughs> no, I'm not offended by. I'm not offended by nudity. Um. I just no. The idea is is that I think that if it like. When they show her naked but not him, and it's just that little double standard. Oh, okay. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, but yes. It's because viewers are, for some reason, still afraid of dicks. Yeah. I'm not but sure why. We're getting but some Chris Pine dick in his new movie. There's a lot of dick in, or not a lot, but there's some dick in the new Suspiria movie. Yeah. Uh, and I watched uh, The Survivalist last night. Mm-hmm. This is there the Dickheads podcast. There is in that one, too. Now iTunes has a reason not to verify us. <laughs> now we're a penis cast. Now we're now we're an actual penis podcast. So, uh, so overall, um, I think we're ready to rate this episode. I think we've talked about about it in general. Yeah. Um. So in this case, I'd say I'm going to give this four out of five robans. Um, I thought it was a really cool episode. Same as Doctor Futurity. Yeah. Yeah, but we already discussed that David threw a curveball at us for Dr. <laughs> Future White Bread, Dr. Wonder Bread. Good Dr. God. Honky. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just, um, I really liked this episode. I thought it was fun. Um, I enjoyed it probably more the first time I watched it, but, um, but yeah, it's a good episode and I think it expands the ideas and makes it, it's better than the story. And, you know, there's, I might have done it differently, um, but, you know, I liked what we got. Okay. Anthony? I'm going to give it five uh, sassy robots. Sorry, not five. I'm going to give it four sassy robots <laughs> out of five. Um, I thought that they they just added stakes. I, reading the short story, I never felt like there were any stakes. I felt like there were in the episode. I really liked the dynamic between Even just the every- landing on the planet made yeah. it more, more I, stakes. I, yeah. I like, visually, I think it's... My favorite episode of Electric Dreams I've watched so far. I haven't seen them all. I think it's visually interesting. <laughs> you only see two, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so out of the still two not, that I've still seen, not all of them. Yeah, I know, but out of the two that I've seen, it's the best looking one. <laughs> oh yeah, because the other one had a bunch of Cuz Future costume right? design that I hated. Yeah, the um, design was way better on this one. Um, the design is great. I really like the score. I thought 
everything felt real and natural. And if you put a sassy robot in your movie, I'm probably going to like it ten times more. <laughs> because damn, was that robot full of sass. So yeah, four sassy robots out of five. Uh, Mr. Magic Hat Grumpy over here. Well, I'm going to give it three. Uh, there were times I was a little bit bored you with it. You fucking bitch. The, uh, the Twilight Zone <laughs> ending was uh, a little off-putting for me. I didn't like the whole we we wake up in fucking Carolina in a lake or whatever bullshit that was. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was pretty good. I didn't I didn't like the size of the robot. There are other things that sort of bothered me, but what these guys are saying about the uh, the production design and all these that guys. stuff, most of it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> those and the acting the was obviously there. you know really good as well. Yeah, I think what, what I what I really I, stood out for me on this episode is I was captivated the entire time. I was interested, I was invested. The dialogue is good. The relationship between Benedict Wong and um the other dude yeah. is is really Norton. good. Like they're friends, even though you can tell that they're not. You know, they're not they're, always. They're like, work. It's friends. like my no. It's like mine and David's friendship. We get along, <laughs> but we have very different personalities. Yeah, mm. uh, we actually get along. Better in real life than on the podcast, but... Yeah. Or on the internet. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, like, our interactions by text are really shitty to each other. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like how Larry treats me in real life. <laughs> yeah, but that's because I don't like you. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. What? So did you give your final rating? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you gave... Yeah. Okay, so um, would uh, PKD like this? I, th- I think he would have. Yeah, I think he would have liked this. It kept that nugget of his story, but it, it it sort of threw away the the one note joke of it. Yeah, they they don't address that it was or via fucking quarter. I'm glad they got rid of that. Do you guys care? I didn't think for me, eh, I didn't I, think this I, version was it had anything to do with I Earth. I don't think this story and this episode have anything to do with each other. I can agree with that. Yeah, you know? they keep the names and and all that and the basic concept of how it starts but i think it's, it's like a uh it's like a based on on a real story thing you know when they do that with like national lampoon's vacation and stuff like that is obviously it's a a fictionalized tale yeah of, of a real life event this was a fictionalized tale of a fictional story and there's a way that they could have done the earth ending where um where it was better basically focusing on the themes that Evan was talking about. But it was it was good that they threw it out to do something totally different. Yeah. This is a case where they definitely like did the I, right, I wouldn't right say, thing. I wouldn't faithful. say it's an improvement per se, but it's definitely they they went tangential to what the story was doing. I think and they, that's fine. I think they did what they could with the the material they had. Because the story is just, again, structured around an idea. There's no character in that story. Yeah. It's all just the idea. You mm-hmm. get to the punchline, and like I said, it's over. Whereas here, it's an episode where we want to be invested in these characters, and I think yeah. that David Farr did a great job with the script. Yeah, I'm impressed by what David Farr did, and it makes me want to go back and rewatch Hannah, and it makes me want to yeah. see the ones below. Um, There's just some of those film. moments I, I didn't I didn't really like. I, I, I mean, know, if that, it didn't jive with the, you, it didn't jive with fantasy, you. The fantasy that. elements, I didn't, I didn't really care for. I liked it more than when Dick does fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> fucking bees. I... <laughs> and yes, they did go skinny dipping, but at least they didn't drive between two giant boobs. Or put a fucking hat on. <laughs> the adjustment. Calm hero. down. <laughs> People just pulled their earbuds out <laughs> after that. The magic of this is Larry can just turn it down. Yeah. So. yeah okay. That is true. Um, I think overall Dick would have liked this episode. I think David Farr did a good job. Um, yeah, I think he would have. I think he would have liked it. I can't find anything in here that I would assume Dick would take any real issue with, other than the fact that I know he just hates robots and androids. And this one is kind of feels like it's it's not a villainized character in the way yeah. that I think Dick villainizes AI or robots sometimes. All right, so the last section on our notes is: Would we do it different? Um, I don't think we have much to say on that. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I, I think I, we we explained what uh, at least yeah. I, what yeah. I would do different. I know you guys I wouldn't think, change much. I think if anything, I would make some of those because because Larry's right to an extent that some of the the, the dream stuff is a bit ambig- too ambiguous and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I think I was pretty invested in the characters so much so that I didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, I think... If Which I, is also fine. Yeah, I think... Are you sure I, you don't want to yell at me again? No, because I agree with that once you're invested in, in a story, those things sort of fall by the wayside. Yeah. I think that when they arrive at M4-3, um, you could... Backslash forward slash colon 2225 dash beta luna tick... Ampersand. Ampersand... Semicolon, semicolon, two dash eighty eight. Well, forward slash ninety nine. <laughs> so, oh, please don't start reading. <laughs> no. But listen, when they get to the planet, they I think Benedict Wong could have and and um, Norton could have had some. Uh, they could have been talking about the effect of the Sincharan. Raijin conflict of four dash B thirty three lowercase a. Oh my and god! Yeah, they could have talked about the impact of the war, and they could have. I think the idea that Earth was lost to memory for the war and the theme in oh, the story could have, quick, could have though, fit in there. I think because that's something. But the they story, did a better job well, in the episode. That that's something the story switches in yeah. the episode is that in the in the story in that Dick wrote. Earth is a legend, and we don't know if it exists, but in the episode, Earth was a thing that existed, it's just gone. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's not which, there anymore. Which was fine for me. I, yeah. I totally accepted that point of view. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's... And we, we often talk about sticking close to the source material, but in this case... No, he was... Why the, would you stick to the source yeah, material? Yeah, I think this is definitely... A close up on the coin... Yeah. Right. Oh God. I this, mean, it would, this, be, this is a prime. Well, yeah, it, it, it would be very easy to do. Don't you think it would be very easy to do to stick to the source material on this and just make a sort of meh? Yeah, I think so. Episode, yeah, no, I think of, I, I think David Farr made the right choice. Yeah, he he took a chance, and that's and it that's something we want to see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, real quick, I'll say this because it's relatable. I saw the Suspiria remake last night, and it's really more of a spiritual remake to the original movie. It, right. it, it takes the ideas from it, but it's its own thing. And while I had a lot of issues with it that had nothing to do with it being not close enough to the remake, I want to see more things in adaptations or remakes just kind of do their own thing rather than elbow nudging me the entire time going, yeah. huh, huh, <laughs> remember this thing, huh? Right. And I think that he did that here with the script for... um 
All that callback nostalgia bullshit. Oh, God, I hate it. So, yeah, I, I, I want to see more risks being taken with some of these existing properties because that's how you get more interesting new stuff out of it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Why Why just retread the same shit over and over again? Exactly. Producers think it, it wins you at the box office, but history has shown that it never does. Nope. Nope. Garbage. Yeah. So, sorry, I just want to throw that in there before I forgot. Okay, so our next episode is a book episode. Yay! Larry. A book episode. A book episode. <laughs> Um, Anthony, can you tell us what our listeners are going to be reading next? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> it's inside the cover, bud. We um, have the original Ace Double. Here. So we're looking at the original Ace Double for Vulcan's Hammer by Philip K. Dick, and it is doubled up with John Bruner's The Sky Nappers. The Sky Nappers! Yep. It's a space pirate story. So Philip the K. The Battle Dick, of the Big Brains. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> Go. Vulcan's Hammer. Battle of the Brain Machines. Vulcan Three was the supreme head of Unity, the perfect world government that had evolved out of chaos and war. Vulcan Three was rational, objective, and unbiased, as only a machine could be. Theoretically, there should have been nothing but peace under such a rule, and for a century or so that there was, until the crackpots, the superstitious, the religious fanatics found themselves a new leader to follow. Then the discontent began to explode again, but this time there was a third side involved, a machine that could not accept any emotional viewpoints. The people of the world began to realize they had created a vicious paradox. They had to make peace between themselves or be stamped out by the ever-growing claws of Vulcan's hammer. Dun-dun-dun! So I'd that... be interested to know if any of this shit happens in this yeah, story. Right. <laughs> um, well, we'll find out. Uh, Vulcan's hammer is the last of the 50s, and then we're out of that. So, on that note, keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid! Bye! Be all, be all paranoid and shit. Yeah. <laughs>